Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership, values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. Welcome to this edition of Authentic Leadership Podcast and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Karen Hayes who's the CEO of the Guide Docs. Um, It's the second time I've walked into a CEO office and got greeted by a dog. So welcome, Karen. Well, well, thank you very much for having me. Well, you can walk around this campus and bump into many, many dogs of all ages. And uh, of course, we're recognised as having one of the best breeding programs in the world. So I have my beautiful dog, Willow, here with me. And um, Will, Willow's making himself at home yes, in the corner of the office, and exactly. and uh, depending on the sound quality here, we can hear dogs barking in the background, <laughs> exactly. which That's is right. excellent. I remember when I um, before I even met you, Karen, I um, saw your profile on LinkedIn, and then my first you got a photo of you and a guide dog, and my first reaction was oh, that's not very professional to have a photo of a dog on your LinkedIn profile. And then I saw what your job was. I went, oh, yes, that's more than appropriate and more than professional. Well, that's right. And I guess, you know, guide dogs has become a big part of my personal brand as much as anything else. So, and if, whilst I have Willow, if ever I turn up at any event or whatever without her, People go, where's Willow? Why Why haven't you brought Willow? They ca- couldn't care less whether yes. I'm there or not. They really just want to see Willow. So mm. she's become a big part of my life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like when I go to visit my parents now, if I don't have my kids there, it's like, well, why, why did you come if exactly. you didn't bring your kids? Well, and that's right. And, and I guess Willow is a representative of all the beautiful dogs yeah. that we breed and train. So she's the best PR tool we've got. Yeah. So some people get a company car. I got a company dog. I think I got the best end of the equation, quite Brilliant. frankly. Brilliant. <laughs> now, you've been um, CEO for seven years here. Um, but you moved from a sort of a corporate gig. That's right. So uh, tell us a bit about what, what, what drove that change. Um, I have had a corporate career in business and technology services all over the world for really the last 25 years, which I loved. And um, I, I, you know, the, I guess my last key role in corporate was um, the CEO of a major project management company, and uh, which I enjoyed a great deal. But... In the last sort of 10 years of my corporate life, I started to get involved in some not-for-profit mm-hmm. um, organisations. I was one of the founders of the Breast Cancer Network of Australia with a, with a group of amazing uh, other, other amazing women. And, and so I was really enjoying the work that I was doing with BCNA and, and, uh, and, and the, the impact that was having in the community. I also joined the board um of the Melbourne Football Club and of course aren't I very excited about what's going on with Melbourne right now but um and and I was my role at the Melbourne Football Club was really to spearhead the engagement of women in AFL football whether it be um as a player as a supporter or even as a sponsor and I was running a multi-million dollar company at the same at that time and and had really no relationship with football at all and didn't really understand the game, didn't go that much unless I was invited. But, you know, once again, when you're in this town in Mm. Melbourne, you really do need, and you're running a major company, you really do need to have some connection to the biggest game in town. 
So I went on to the, I was invited to go onto the board of Melbourne Footy Club and, and spent almost 10 years there and absolutely loved it. I'm, of course, of course, passionate about Melbourne now. But what happened with the roles that I had with the Melbourne Footy Club and with the Breast Cancer Network Australia was I was starting to enjoy the work that I was doing in the not-for-profit field more than I was enjoying my work in the corporate field. And uh, I wasn't bouncing out of bed to go to work every day. And, and I, so, you know, at that point, I guess, in your career, you've got to look at, well, you know, maybe it's time to make a change. And I guess, um, so I put it out there to my network and said, look, I think I'm going to make a change here. And at some point, if the right opportunity came up, came up the role with Guide Dogs came up and, and I was very fortunate to, to successfully, been successful in getting it. And it's really interesting because um, I really feel that everything I've done in my corporate career has prepared me for this mm. role. There's such a huge amount of change going on, not just in the not-for-profit sector, but for, within the health sector with the introduction of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, My Age Care, etc. And organisations like Guide Dogs have had to really reinvent themselves in a very, very major way. Um, where you know Guide Dogs has historically been highly dependent on philanthropic funding. We've only ever got le- you know less than ten percent of our funding from government, so we've been very very dependent on philanthropic funding, which is very unpredictable, extremely unsustainable, and um, so you we've we really when I came into Guide Dogs we really needed to reinvent the organisation in a major way. So my commercial and corporate background has really been invaluable at taking a very different look and, and putting a different lens across the organisation to say, well, you know, we have this amazing brand. We've been invo- we've been voted the most trusted charity in Australia for the last six years. Congratulations. So, thank you very much. So how do we leverage that brand to actually build more sustainability, more predictability into our revenue streams and ensure that, you know, we had celebrated our 60th anniversary last year. How do we make sure we're still around for the mm. next 60 years in in a market where the demand for our service is actually increasing quite dramatically? So particularly with the ageing baby boomers um, and the fact that eye diseases like macular degeneration, diabetes-related blindness, glaucoma are largely age-related, we're seeing a really sharp increase in the need for our services, so much so that we're predicting that the, that the demand for our services is going to double between now and, and 2020. Mm. So, you know, we need a business model that's going to ensure that we can meet that sort of demand. So we've really worked... Um, hard over the course of the last seven years to reinvent guide dogs to um, you know we've had a massive cultural shift across the organization as part of that but also to set ourselves up for the future to ensure that we can can can, we can continue to deliver our services Mm. well it does seem like everything you've done in the past has led you (laughs) to this point And, and and as I say I think you know with the best intentions in the world, mm-hmm. a lot of not-for-profits haven't necessarily looked at their business models around financial sustainability and the more strategic natures of their business. Whereas, you know, as you know, when in the corporate environment, you live and die by your bottom line and you better mm-hmm. make sure, sure you've got a very 
ambitious but achievable strategic plan in place to ensure that you remain competitive and that your your services continue to be relevant. So I guess that's the lens I've brought into Guide Dogs Victoria in terms of how do we set ourselves up for the future. Yeah. And you, you I talk about, um, you know, the one of the things I talk about on this this podcast series is authentic leadership mm-hmm. and, and I can see that you are, you know, truly living what you love and living your values. So um, perhaps just, you know, share with us what you think authentic leadership is because it's a it's a word bandied around a bit look it is a word that's bandied around and I think authentic leadership it's not rocket science you Mm. know um I say to people look you just treat people the way you want to be treated yourself it's not that difficult but I think what we've done um guide dogs and what I think is very important um in any leadership role is values and Mm. When I started at Guide Dogs, we did a big program to roll out the values of the organisation and not just the values, but what are the behaviours that we expect for people to demonstrate as part of living the values. And I think, you know, what what being very clear about your values and the associated behaviours does for an organisation it, is it makes you as a leader very predictable and that helps you build trust yeah. in an organisation. And... And I think as a leader, that's really, you know, you have to earn trust amongst the people in your team. And um, and I think that living your values, as, you know, really does support that. So um, I think values-based leadership is really essential. And what we've done here at Guide Dogs is ensure that not only does everybody understand what the values and behaviours are for the organisation, but with everybody's performance appraisal every year, everybody's value is measured against those values and behaviors as well so it becomes something that you really do have to live um and when you as i say when you you know being measured against that i think that just reminds everybody constantly of the need to not only live the values but also if you if you see behaviors that are outside the values it becomes quite easy to sit down with an individual and say where do you think that fits in terms of the values of this organization it's common i mean it's quite common when ceos come in new one of the first things they do is i guess reevaluate or look at the values and behaviors when you did that how how much do you think your own values and behaviors I guess, influenced the company value and behaviours? Look, that's a good question. And I think, look, there's no question. I think that my personal values definitely influence the values that I have for the organisation. And I guess that, you know, going back to my corporate career and the reason that I wasn't bouncing out of bed to go to work every day is I got to a point that my personal values Mm. weren't aligned to those of the corporation. And, and because it, you know, because it was so, it, you'd be, you know, you're in a very competitive market, it, you know, lots, lot, lots of um, pressures all from many different angles, people working really hard, um, some being taken advantage of, I guess, in terms of their, their, their good nature, etc. And I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so when I came into Guide Dogs, um, I wanted an organisation that I would personally be really proud to be associated with. That And once again, if I can't live the values of the organisation, how can you possibly instil that across the rest yeah. of the organisation? And I think, you know, whether you come in just for an hour this morning to meet with me, hopefully you'll see that my values and, 
and the and the values of guide dogs Victoria are completely aligned but so too should anybody that's coming into the organization whether it's a, a client so that they can they can trust the organization to deliver quality services to them that they can trust the people that they're working with to help them live independently with their low vision or blindness you know there's a lot of trust that sits around this organization as I say we've been voted the most trusted charity in Australia but you know if you look at somebody who is blind or has low vision and the trust that they put for example not just in their orientation and mobility instructor to teach them white cane training or independent living skills training but then you in many instances you put a dog into that equation as well a beautiful mm. guide dog um, and the trust that is built between an individual and their guide dog to support somebody to just simply walk out the front door every day and go and you know catch public transport or walk down to the shops or you know be live the life that they choose it's all around values in terms of how you deliver and how you communicate and, and the honesty in terms of your approach to do that yeah i think a lot of business have um, businesses have underestimated the trust component um, for their employees for their customers and it's probably only you know, I'm seeing it recently with the Royal Commissions into the banking industry that they've realised that trust is critical and, and, and it's been destroyed it in that industry. Um, and they've, they've, once it's destroyed, you've got to work mighty hard to, to get it back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, we live in a world, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fast pace, but you look at, you know, as you say, the Banking Royal Commission, you mm. look at our political environment... And, and, you know, once upon a time, you know, many years ago, people would join organisations and with a view to being there for many years, yeah. you know. And um, if I look at coming out of the business and technology services firm that I was with, you know, the average length of tenure, tenure in that firm was 11 months. Now, I've come into Guide Dogs. The average length of ten tenure here is 13 years. Wow. Now, we've got people that work in this organisation that have been here for over 40 years. Now, that... Once again, it really brings home what is it that makes you, you know, bounce out of bed to come to work every day. It's because you're working with people who really love what we do, who really love supporting the sort of clients that we do. But when you've got, when you add to that the underpinning values um, that support the organisation, you know, it makes you really proud to be part of uh, of the guide dogs, mm. you know, network. Have you ever had a time when um, your values were challenged and um, yeah I guess um, as a leader you know sometimes you have to do things that you don't necessarily agree with and I remember some time ago I was working as a CEO uh, I was working with a quite a difficult board and um, and I think you know if you're going to be once again as a leader you've got to be there for the right reason that includes as a board member so you know, you can't be on a board because of your ego or because of any level of self-interest. And I think that this particular board probably had some people that didn't ne weren't necessarily there for the right reasons. And um, I, and they'd asked the the chair had asked me to do something that I didn't necessarily agree with. So whilst I presented my argument or my feedback back to this person, um, and he took he took it on board at the time still didn't sway him in terms of changing his view so I had to go back to so I was, I was still you know asked to, to go forward with what it, he, it was that he wanted me to do now taking that back to my team and mm -hmm. um, when I'm not 
100% convinced that it's the right thing to do is a very, very difficult thing to do to try and motivate your team to deliver something that you haven't, you're not fully committed to. And, you know, the, the upshot was that, you know, um, I don't think it was, I still don't think it was the right thing to do. And my, I think we didn't achieve a good result from it. And I think what you've got to do is just try and learn from those sort of experiences from both sides of the equation and go back to those who who gave the directive in the first place and, and basically say, now, what do we learn from this? Mm. You know, how do we make sure that we don't have this situation again? And, and in raising objections in the first place, should we have done it a different way or, you know, maybe take a walk in the shoes of the person that was directing it so that we could understand what their thinking was a little bit more and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, And look, as a leader of a business, you do have the ability to set the tone with your team. And, and you know, I'm a very high energy, very positive individual, so I know that I can set that tone for, for my team and, I hope, and hopefully they, they get energy from that as well. But equally, if you're not enthusiastic about something, that comes across too. And yeah. people will question, mm. why, why, now why isn't she enthusiastic about that? So once again, it comes down to that trust. You know, people know you, they trust you. So if there's a change in your behaviour for whatever reason, people will say, well, there's something here that's not quite right. Mm. And I, I think people pick that up. And they do. Too many times when we're trying to lead change and as if leaders we don't agree with it, we've sort of been told, well, you have to support it. And, and people can see that where I think the more authentic and honest approach is going, I actually don't think this is good, but we need to do it. And, you know, when and you can get sort of people to at least give it a go. Absolutely. Um, but they can yeah. see it. Um, so, Karen, I, like I've, you, you've taken a lot of public stance on women's issues. I actually met you and we're fellow members of the International Women's Forum. That's where right. you co-hosted the global event this year in Melbourne. First yep. time outside, first time outside of America, was it? Or? Oh, no, no. Uh, the IWF have two conferences a year. One is always in the United States because yep. they're based out of Washington, so they always have one of the conferences in, somewhere in the United States. The next one's in Miami. Um, but this was the first time it had ever been in Australia. Yeah. So the the second conference each year is somewhere else in the world. So, um, you know, there was the, I think the one before Australia was in Stockholm. Yeah. Um, there's one in T- Toronto in a couple of years. London's coming yeah. up. Yeah, uh, London. I've, I've penciled in London for 2020. Yeah. Barcelona's <laughs> coming up as well. Yeah. So, But it was the first time we'd, we'd ever had it in Australia. So we had 600 of the top women yeah. in the world land in Melbourne mm-hmm. and we were able to showcase Melbourne in the very best possible way. So it was a fantastic conference, as you know, yeah. and, and uh, uh, I think that we really, uh, we, well, I, think, I think we set a whole new benchmark in terms of <laughs> successful conferences for IWF. <laughs> I think we did. I, I, had one of, I had one of the participants who's been to like almost everyone since it started 20 odd years ago and said it was the best she's ever been to. Oh, that's great to hear. So tell us a bit more about uh, the most recent thing you've become involved in, which I guess is a follow-up from Me Too and Mm. Now. Tell Mm. us a bit about that. So I've, um, outside of IWF, I also have dinner with a group of um, female CEOs probably every two or three months. We've been doing it for a long time and and it's just a means of just sort of getting together and sharing ideas and and what's going on in our lives and great group of women and... uh, uh, around December, you know, the Me Too cam was re- campaign was really, you know, h- holding its own out there, and and we had our Christmas function. In fact, we had it here at Guide Dogs and in the boardroom, and and we started to talk about the Me Too campaign and and how successful it had been in terms of raising awareness, 
but that there was a piece now that was around a call to action and because we were all sitting there as as female leaders saying well I don't think we've got bullying and harassment in our own organizations and oh my god wouldn't I die if I found out that it was happening on my watch right and then we started the discussion around the table to say well how do we make sure that this isn't happening in our own organizations and how do we also support other leaders male and female to ensure that it's not happening on their watch mm-hmm. so we've started an organization called uh, not in my workplace and um, we launched it about a month ago a very successful launch and um, once again the, the aim is to really raise the awareness around the call to action what are the tools necessary what, you know what are the aids necessary for organizations to instill in their own businesses to ensure that this is not happening in in any of our workplaces so the next big event will be we're planning a 1000 person um event in february which will be aimed at, which will go for about half a day and it will be basically aimed at you know providing information um, and knowledge and aids and tools to any leader across any organisation at any level um, to assist them in basically ensuring that this doesn't happen in our workplace. Yeah, it's a great initiative. It's, um, yeah, the, the I didn't know is, is not an excuse. Yeah. It, and I love the fact that this is aimed at different levels. So it doesn't have to just be the CEO absolutely that attends right. this. It could be you could have a department or a team to make sure you're fully aware that this isn't happening. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, creating a safe environment is everybody's responsibility. You know, whether it you be, be as a leader or as somebody in the workplace. I mean, an observer of workplace harassment or, or sexual harassment or bullying that doesn't do anything about mm. it is, is culpable. And, and so we've got to make sure that once again, we're creating an environment in our own workplaces where people feel safe to raise issues around, you know, these sort of things happening and know that um, it's not... Because a lot of people go, oh, I can't do... I can't raise this. What's it going to mean for, for my career? You know, will they believe me? Will, you know... There's, so it all comes back onto you as an individual to say, oh, I'm not sure that I feel confident to do this even though I'm seeing this happening. So we need, as leaders, we need to create environments that are not only safe for our employees to ensure that... This doesn't happen in our workplace, but also that if it is happening, that there is a safe avenue for anybody to raise these issues. Yeah. Excellent initiative. I assume people, they can just Google Not In My Workplace. Absolutely. We, have a web, we do. We have a website, Not In My Workplace. Uh, it's early days. As I say, we've been now going for about six or seven months. Yeah. Uh, an amazing group of women um, really taking action to support our, all of our businesses um, to... Um, ensure that we have safe working environments we'll we'll put a link to it yeah thanks that'd be great um so who do you admire when you think about authentic leadership who do you admire and why um look there are a number of people you know i guess that throughout my whole life you know i've i've had wonderful role models in my life starting with my parents to be perfectly honest particularly my mother she was a strong woman um you know, she she uh, dealt with some difficult things throughout her life and, and once again, my parents taught me extremely good values. But I guess if I looked at somebody who stands out for me um, and I'll go back to my, you know, being asked to go onto the Melbourne Football Club board at a time that I knew nothing about football, which I think on behalf of the Melbourne Football Club was a pretty pretty brave thing to do. Um, 
But Jim Steins, um, I obviously worked very closely with when I went onto the board, and um, he was a man that I truly admire. Um, had it was somebody with the absolute utmost of integrity, and you know I saw that guy. He could communicate at any level, at any age. You know I used to see him talk to young children who were just in awe that they were talking to the the, the amazing Jim Steins, to you know old football stalwarts who just had the greatest admiration for. For this guy and there are still times in my you know he started the reach foundation and and he's done some fantastic he did some fantastic things for the youth and there are still times where I might be faced with particular challenges where I'll think now what would Jim do in mm. this situation and it can just refocus your thoughts um to say okay he's I now I know what to do so sometimes you just it's it's having that role model in the back of your mind to go like I'm not really sure whether the, whether I should do this or this and then you sit there and say what would Jim do it just gives you a different perspective of say okay now I know what I'm going to yeah, do yeah it's a way of still learning from the amazing Absolutely. man and it, yes he would be uh he'd be very excited now wouldn't oh he oh my gosh one one win away from a grand final yeah but at melbourne we don't like to get too far <laughs> ahead of ourselves <laughs> uh, let's get through this saturday against the west coast eagles and then hopefully we'll be up against whoever yeah. in the grand final well but I it's barrack, very exciting i barrack for collingwood oh, so well, what, yeah. a, what a melbourne melbourne collingwood <laughs> grand final that'd be amazing melbourne I, would go off like a rocket oh, <laughs> i actually find it that you know that the melbourne Melbourne are so close and the fact that the last three years it could have been it was Bulldogs and then Richmond you know and then Melbourne so all these we're, we're ready for another won. resurrection story yeah. I think so Melbourne's it's Melbourne's turn I think absolutely <laughs> so what do you think is the hardest part of your job I it sounds like a pretty good job I, sure I, I personally think I've got the best job in the world and a lot of other people think I do too um I think um the hardest part is like many of us, is managing, managing stakeholders. Mm. Um, at Guide Dogs, you know, we have our clients, we have our employees. You know, I have 180 employees here. I have 650 volunteers. We have government. You know, we on fr last Friday, we announced um, that we've, we're doing a big capital campaign uh, to raise $23 million to upgrade our, our facilities here in Kew. And we, with that, we're going to build a, a vet clinic a doggy daycare centre and a dog-friendly cafe that will all be revenue-generating vehicles for us. And um, and once again, to reduce that dependency that we've had historically on philanthropic and, to a lesser extent, government funding. But on Friday, the state government announced that they're going to contribute $5 million to um, our capital campaign, which is the biggest single contribution um, by anybody to any, any guide dogs organisation in Australia. So... Um, ever, which is quite amazing. Mm. So, of course, government become a significant stakeholder, and this is you know this is not something that's just happened overnight. Mm. We've been working on this for three years. But how, how do you feel? Sorry, how do you feel personally when you when you get the the phone call or the email, whatever is say yes? Do you do? You just must be uh, pumping uh, the air uh, with this, and uh, because you, we've been working on this for three years, and it's all consuming, you know, and and it's such a lot of money. Um, and it's makes and it's going to make such a huge difference to guide dogs and what our future looks like. When I got the phone call, it was you know it was six thirty on Thursday night, and I was actually in the hotel room in Sydney because I was up there for the International Guide Dogs Federation conference. And I got took the call, and honestly, I put the phone down, and I'm in a hotel room all on my own, going, 
oh my gosh, who do I call? Like you just, and you, you're just so excited. And then I came back to Melbourne, of course, on Friday morning, six o'clock flight Friday morning to meet the minister, Minister Foley, um, and to make the announcement. And it's, it is one of the biggest things in my life. I've, it was just so wonderful. And you just, as I say, you think about the huge difference this is going to make for our employees and for our clients and for the community. Um, it's, it's big. So once again, if you, you know, the hardest part is, you know, managing all those stakeholders, you know, we've got so much we need to do. You're always trying to do more for, with less. We've never got enough money or enough time. Um, and you've just got to juggle all of that. But as I say, it comes down to, you know, I absolutely love what I do. And um, I love, I really love what Guide Dogs, Guide Dogs does in supporting people with low vision or blindness. Um, I think, you know, we are absolutely a leader in this field. And, and even though we're very well known for our beautiful dogs, in fact, guide dogs are only 30% of what we do. We work with people from newborns right through to people in their 90s to support them in whatever services, whatever um, aids that they need to live independently and live the life that they choose. So, you know, I look at our teams, particularly our children's mobility services team, where we're working with, you know, young children who are you know about to embark on their life journey and I see the difference that our team is making in those children's lives and you look at these kids and you just think you know eight-year-olds who have been blind since birth and they just fearless and you think you look at these kids and just think oh my gosh these kids are going to leap tall buildings in a single bound by the time they're 20 and I see that my team uh, a big part of making that happen. It just fills me with pride and awe. I'm in awe of what our people do in supporting people with blindness and low vision. Mm. And, and uh, you know, that's, once again, it's what makes you, you know, bounce out of bed yeah. to go to work every day. You obviously love, love, love your job. You I can do. just see it in your face and expression. <laughs> Thank what, you. what else do you love doing when, you know, I was going to say when you're not doing your job, but you're, you're always doing the job. But what yeah. else do you love doing? Look, I think... Um, I guess I've, you know, I'm a breast cancer survivor now of just over 20 years and I guess that was a big wake-up call for me. I was quite young when I got it and um, and th that was a wake-up call for me because I, at the time I was probably burning the candle at both ends mm. and uh, and really didn't have a good balance in my life. And, and I think having good health and well-being is very, very important. And having a good balance in your life is important. When I say balance, I don't mean, you know, you spend 33% of your time here and 33 there and 33. It's what makes sense in your life. So for me, you know, I still, there's no question, I still feel, feel 28 uh, 28 hours into a 24-hour day. I thought but, you were going to say you still feel 28. <laughs> well, I do. That too. That too, actually. Um, but I do fit um, 28 hours into a 24-hour day. You can't do that with having without having good people around you. And I have a, an incredible husband who is in, very, very supportive of what I do. I have a great team here at Guide Dogs who are very complimentary in terms of their skill set and the nature of, of how I work as well. I have a great family. So what I love to do is... Um, when I'm my downtime is, you know, I love to go for a walk along the beach. I love to spend time with my family, and my and I have great girlfriends. You know, there's no such there's there's no such no better time than just sort of sitting around and having, mm -hmm. you know, dinner with some great girlfriends and you know just sharing what's going on in your life. So I do enjoy that, and and uh, I I naturally have a lot of energy and. Uh, People say, "How do you keep going? And how do you have always have this energy?" I say, "The first thing, the first thing is practice, 
And the second thing is just having, you know, having good team around you to be able to support you in, in doing all the things you do. Yeah, excellent. Now, um, I always ask people, because I love a quote, what their favourite quote is and why why it's their favourite. So do you have a favourite quote? <laughs> well, I guess at Guide Dogs, uh, you know, this is probably a pretty appropriate quote, and that is, and I have my beautiful dog, Willow, and who loves me unconditionally. So my favourite quote is really, I aspire to being the person that my dog thinks I am. <laughs> and she clearly thinks I'm the greatest person in the history of the world. And I've just been away for four days and I got home last night and uh, and she greeted me like I you know she hadn't seen me for a year and it, it, it's that unconditional love and it's the the fact that you know um, she just thinks I'm the greatest greatest thing ever and and wouldn't we I all aspire to being the person that our dogs think we are? <laughs> no wonder you're doing such a great job living up to what your dog thinks you are and asking what would Jim Steins do? You've, yeah, well, you've got you've pretty got good combination. Pretty, so. pretty two good radars there yeah, going on definitely. helping you out. Um, so similar to the quote, uh, as you probably know, I'm a, I'm a real um, advocate for less jargon yes. in corporates or anywhere. Do, do you have a corporate jargon phrase that, you know, you just hate and if you could and you can, ban it? <laughs> yeah, um, I think um, the, my, my, the quote that in terms of corporate would be... Uh, You're finding hard. You're finding it hard to answer. So this must mean you know what you you know what I'm I'm sensing from this. This means that you don't use a lot of jargon. I don't. Which I'm loving the fact because normally people just go blah blah blah. You know optics and (laughs) yeah. I don't use a lot of jargon, and that comes back really to the uh, the stakeholders that I have to communicate with because you know there's it's such a broad range that you really can't you really can't. uh, use jargon because people don't understand what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> well, but I wish, but I wish other people would realise that concept yeah, that it, you it's know, hard to understand. There's another. There's another. I guess there's something that you know I have heard over and over and over. We've got to be more efficient and effective. Oh, yeah. You know that is so such an overused term. And when you say to people, so what do you what do you mean by that? Mm. You know what are you, what are your thoughts around that? Mm. It's like innovation. Everybody says let's be more innovative. Yeah. Oh great. Okay. So when you talk about being innovative, what give me mm, a thought? Yeah. And they never have the no. they never have the response to oh this is what I think innovation. And we all have our own interpretation of what innovation mm. looks like. So my interpretation of innovation for guide dogs is to have a really ambitious but achievable vision, which is to create, which we are going to create, which is what, where the $23 million is going to go. We're creating the very first sensory campus in the world. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and we're going to, as part of that, have these revenue-generating vehicles like the vet clinic and the doggy daycare and an education auditorium and that sort of thing. And so that, for me, we're being very, very innovative in the not-for-profit space in terms of looking where, at where our revenue is coming from, how do we raise awareness in the community and that sort of thing. But when people talk about, when somebody says, oh, Karen, you know, I think we should be more innovative, and I, the first thing I go back to them with is, okay, well, that's interesting. Now, how, how would you describe being what innovation would look yeah. like at Guide Dogs? Yeah. It's, so I think it's, people have got to be a bit careful about how they uh, how they table that? <laughs> yeah, let's throw words around. When you said you know like it'd be more efficient and effective, and you'd be like, oh really? I thought we you know well, this well, year we well, would try being less efficient. Our performance is pretty good, and, and we've got we're we're delivering better financials than we've ever delivered. Yeah. And so what else? 
else would you like us to do? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, a few personal questions I want to end with. What's the one meal you love cooking? If, in fact, you do cook. Well, you know what? The best thing I do for dinner is actually make a reservation. I'm not a great. I'm not a great cook. <laughs> I love entertaining, but I'm not a great cook. Uh, I guess if uh, I guess I make a fairly good roast chicken. I do make a good roast chicken. Um, Ro- roast chickens can be difficult. They they, they can. can. I be stuff very it. With, I put a lemon inside it. Yeah. And uh, squeeze lemon juice over it, and then garlic roast it inside. And garlic. That's probably. The, my go-to dish and it's really easy, it's easy. I, and yeah. I need I need easy so um but I'm more inclined to go out <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite meal making a reservation I love exactly. it I love it what's your favorite 80s song or artist oh oh do you know um do you remember that song um we are the world. Yeah. We are the, the world. I will the never live forget. Aid, the yeah, band, live, live Aid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, live Aid exactly. Live yeah. Aid for Africa. Yeah. I remember seeing that, you know, all these years mm. later, the very first time, and it made me cry. And I couldn't believe the superstars that were, were, were filmed in it. And to this day, every time I hear it, it just... It just really resonates for me, and I re- and a lot of the superstars that were in there aren't even with us anymore. Yeah. And you know, I remember particularly Michael Jackson had played a really you know pivotal role in that whole video, mm. and and his voice just so you know stood out so much. But it's just a beautiful song, and I think extremely relevant, not just then, but you know forever in terms of. Um, inclusive, you know, inclusiveness and and um, you know, in, in, and and that sort of thing. So, I I think yeah, definitely mm. that that would be my favourite. I I can still remember it was the first album, well, not album because it was a single that Mum actually bought it for us, and it was like I remember thinking, oh, Mum has actually bought us something. <laughs> she was She's getting with it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a beautiful, it's still, beautiful song. And, and yeah, every time I hear it now, you still. Shivers down my spine. It does, I and it. I think it's a really good. It's good to hear it from time to time, and I think also 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 to play to the younger generations because it does have some great messaging mm. about the inclusive nature of the world that we live in and yeah. how important it is to accept everybody and everybody's cultures and differences, and and that is part of the tapestry of life. Yeah. Did you have a favourite eighties artist? So if that was one of your standout eighties artist. Oh, gee. It would have to be, um, oh, look, I think, you know, Daryl Braithwaite, you oh, know, okay. you know, that I think he was, I so think I was Sherbet. 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 Sherbet, I think, because, you know, I think I had a bit of a love affair with Daryl mm-hmm. Braithwaite, but also the Partridge family, you know, David oh, Cassidy. You liked all the nice I people. Did, the I nice did. Fans. I didn't like the rock and rollers, no, you know, I liked the nice guys. The nice guys. So yeah, David Cassidy, you know, and uh, Daryl Braithwaite or Sherbet. Yeah, 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 good one. Yeah. Okay, and my final question for you, Karen, is if you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Oh, look, I think, um, you know, we all hear about it, but it's, I think it's probably don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. And um, if, if you've got an issue that you can, and you can, ch- you can make the change necessary to fix it, do it. If you can't make the change necessary to fix it, move on. And... Uh, I think that's really what I think I've learnt that over the years, and um, 
you know, we all were, somebody once said, there's a very famous expression, I've worried about a lot of things in my life. Most of them have never happened. <laughs> and it's so true. So, so true. So I think, you know, you, you change the things you can and move on from the things you can't. Yeah. Excellent. Lovely quote to end on. Thank you so much for your time, Karen, and all the best with um, doing what you're doing and changing lives, all the lives that you're changing. And uh, go Melbourne. Go Dees. Thank you very much for having me. It's really, really been a pleasure to have a chat. Thank you very much. And go (laughs) Dees. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership Series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.